put this on, it's, it starts. There's no beginning to this thing. It just sort of starts when we talk. Yeah, no problem. So what you're saying is you're recording already. Okay, all right, cool. So I shouldn't say the seven bad words you can't say on TV you or any of that no, stuff. No, because in a podcast, um, they're interesting. They, this is going to be on iTunes and all that stuff, but it's all served from a website that I've made. And so it's a strange thing. You own anything you say, I own anything I say. <laughs> I'm not too concerned about it. I'm, I was really not worried about you stealing my words. It was just <laughs> of all the concerns I had of you coming over, one was not like... Ken's coming because he wants me to say something that he can steal no, and trademark no, no, and make a billion dollars off of. No, no. First you know. off, I love this office. It kind of reminds me of Chicken's office. It's Thank crazy. you. Well, you know, us guys have made a lot of skateboard stuff. You know, I, I made a couple million skateboards in my factory over years, and, mm -hmm. and I used to have a 14,000 square foot office and the 12,000 square foot factory, so okay. I had lots of walls covered with lots of stuff. So this yeah. is actually incredibly small amounts of the stuff I have uh -huh. stuck in there. I mean, I had, I had hallways with offices. I mean, I have like 1,500 boards of various uh, right. that was Acme, designs. Right. And Acme, Scarecrow, Formula One, Standard Trucks. I licensed GNS in the 90s. I, uh, you know, made a brand called Channel One with Marty. Oh, okay. Marty you Jimenez. licensed GNS? Okay. I did, yeah, in the, in the 90s. I had the That's license cool. from like 92 or 3 to like 95 or 96. So That's I actually cool. re, 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 remade the Fiberflex. Hadn't been made in 30, oh, really? 30 years. So we, uh, I went to Gordon Plastics, the company that actually originally made the the fiberglass, which was a relative of the Gardens, that was, uh, mm -hmm. they were up in Vista and just uh, watched it the, all get You did it recently or that something you did in the past? No, that was in like 95, you know, Bo Brown, Bo Brown's idea, we talked about stuff and he was oh, working with me. That was a board. Um, yeah, you know, it was like, hey, it hadn't been done since, you know, the 70s and here we are in 1995, so we, yeah. uh, like, let's, let's make one. And so Why we, did that change? Why did people not want their board to flex? Um, that's a really good question. I think, uh, Flexible boards work best for things like slalom, where you're pumping, yeah. you know, so you get a spring back, even even yeah. riding bank slalom pump back. But I don't know, as you started riding a pool, you you didn't really get a benefit from a board springing back, you know. Right. It's like uh, actually worked against you. It board. kind of slowed you down. Yeah, yeah, you pump and your your body sucks in. It's also like when you ride really soft wheels in a pool, mm -hmm. like the gummy longboard wheels. Sometimes you see someone drop in, and you, you know, they they don't get it. They're like, that's a great board on the sidewalk, and they have no idea why they're only getting halfway up the wall because right. when they pump, that thing just absorbs and um, and it's like a sponge. Yeah, and that's um, my. My brother-in-law, his girlfriend used to ride, a, it was a flexible board, it was some new company that basically took that idea and, you know, reproduced it, and, but she loved it. She, and, and I mean, she would just cruise, you know, on the hills. And I mean, well, that's one of the things where you separate the skateboard industry, where the skateboard industry didn't look at skateboards as skateboards, they looked at like, we're a street company, you know, we're an old company, you know, and then all these longboard companies, and, and to me, because I guess I've never stopped skateboarding, it's just a skateboard. So I laugh when someone say they're a longboarder. They're, no, they're a skateboarder rides a longboard. Big deal, you know. So that was that's been a big detriment to the skateboarding world. Part the of the we, code we were talking about before we hit the record button. The what's that? The code. The code. Yeah, yeah. The unspoken rules. But the reality is, all the skate parks that are getting built, yeah. they're also partially getting built because all those people bought longboards. Because the reason they're getting built is because cities see people riding skateboards. They acknowledge that it's a it's a popular thing. It's, a lot of people need somewhere to go. And they also, they count the people they see rolling down the street on those longboards. Skateboards are skateboards. Exactly. Even though those are never going in the skate park for the most part, mm -hmm. the, the, in the eyes of the city, that's all part of what legitimized us. All those penny boards, mm -hmm. all those little kids just riding to junior high school now because 
they finally got a board they enjoyed. Yep. Because let's face it, a seven and a half inch wide popsicle stick mounted straight to the wood with no risers and 52 millimeter rock hard wheels mm -hmm. is never gonna get a kid excited about skateboarding. Yes. You know, that's only good for one thing. Ride, someone who's already good, mm -hmm. who wants to just like ride a curb or a ledge or flip his board around, you don't get good riding that. You need to learn to ride first. Yes. You know, Fall so, in love with that. Yeah, way. so the skateboard industry tried to make that the standard. Right. I used to go to a lot of the meetings and go, what the fuck is wrong with you people? I mean, like, literally, mm -hmm. you think a complete for Christmas is a board that has about 80% chance that a kid's never going to love skateboarding, throw it in the garage and stop skateboarding. Right. And that's what you want to give him because that's what you, that's because you're afraid to make anything different than your coolest team guy wants to ride. Right. There's the biggest transition. Right. In, in the 70s, early 80s, I rode for companies like Gordon and Smith, biggest, yeah. some of the biggest brands like, yeah. you know, of the, of the era, okay? I was th thankful for all they made, you know what I mean? And I rode specific certain boards. I rode mostly you know, pool boards that were made for pools and parks. Yeah. But they made freestyle boards. Mm -hmm. I didn't go, I'm gonna quit because you make a freestyle board. Right. You know, I actually had one of my competitors when I was doing Acme tell me in like somewhere in 93, 94, yeah. I can't believe you make a 55 millimeter wheel. My team would quit. And I'm like, Really? Well, then you are one hell of a shitty brand manager, team manager, whatever that. My team's stoked that I sell three or 4,000 55-millimeter wheels every month because that helps send them on tour. Even though they all ride 42-millimeter wheels, why should they care if some dude who rides a mini ramp out in Iowa wants a 55-millimeter wheel? Right. You're so focused on being cool mm -hmm. that you're not really making skateboards for skateboarders. You're making skateboards for your team. And then forcing skateboarders to take what your team rides. Yes. Well, the reality is, once that guy's on a pro level, top level, he's not necessarily riding what a kid needs to start out to learn to, you know, have options. So, yeah, skateboarding really lost its way from that, you know, early days. When was um, that approximately? That, well, I'm going to say that really happened in the. Um, in the latest 80s, but mostly early 90s. That's when it was, so the cool, yeah. it was like, not, wasn't cool, and the industry even believed that. Well, they, what happens is skateboarders took over their own industry and sold it up the river farther than the guys they called the corporate guys, the big five, whatever, ever did. You know, I'm one of the few guys that ever sat in one of those big five meetings. I sat in there for Brad Dorfman, and I kind of got chewed out, like, you shouldn't be here. The big five was Larry Balma, um, Richard Novak from Santa Cruz, uh, George Powell, um, uh, Fausto mm -hmm. and uh, Dorfman. Okay, I sat in for Dorfman. And those guys, they all had diabolically opposed marketing plans and so on and so <laughs> forth, but they were all big businesses. But when they sat in that room, mm -hmm. they would say, okay, we need to plan what's best for skateboarding. We need a Midwest contest, an East Coast contest, a California contest. Heck, they'd even put the money up for the prize money because they were afraid of the big corporate guys coming in. I used to laugh at them and go like, fucking Pepsi-Cola really wants to be in the skateboard business? They do $20 billion a year. You guys do cumulatively like 100 million. They would have to destroy your whole business to make it even worthwhile. I highly doubt they want to expend that much energy for that. So why don't you just go to them and say, give us a freaking check to sponsor our contest because our customers are also their customers. But they were afraid. So instead, oh, Dorfman wrote a check for a, the contest. Uh, Balma wrote a check for a contest. Fausto wouldn't write a check for the contest. Mm -hmm. and. I don't think even uh, Novak did or whatever, but it was a, it was a weird game to watch. Mm. But so I'm one of the few guys of my era who was who started all these companies who got to understand and see that. And I would go to the meetings where guys would like, 
you know, they'd have meetings at a trade show and the NSA, um, yeah. which was the National Skateboard Association, was kind of the, the body of competition and they'd, they'd talk about needing to keep their team writers under control and you see one of the young companies come out and go, but my guys might quit if I tell them they can't destroy the hotel room, you know, and you're like, <laughs> well then you're a fucking moron, you know what I mean? Like, then why should you own a company and sponsor guys more like that? You gotta keep your guys under control. Um, so as it transitioned from these guys that they looked at as the corporate dudes who, let's face it, they didn't really skate a lot. No. They, if they skated, they stood on a skateboard in the 70s. Mm -hmm. They started. They all got lucky, hit the boom, and made millions of dollars. Yep. So they had the advantage over all these skater-owned guys because they, they had tons of money, mm -hmm. um, lots of which was started with drug money, whatever, which is really hilarious. Most of the early skateboard oh, companies were funded great. were funded from dope dealing. Well, an appropriately you know. romantic uh, beginning. Of yeah, it was. A lot of them. A lot of them. What I found, about two-thirds of the early skateboard companies were all funded by dope dealing. You know, There's still a few guys, that are... You know. yeah. oh, Small companies that kind of run off. Oh, I'm sure there is for yeah. sure. There, sure there is. So, so, so as we transition from this, early, this, uh, the, the, the GNS, Powell, Santa Cruz, Vision, you know, days into the World Industries, Toy Machine, Birdhouse, Acme, yeah. so on, all these young companies. Yeah. Um, skater. That, that's the point. The skater, skater owned ones are the ones who destroyed that's skateboarding. That's so fascinating. They really did. That's they, so they, because when these other guys would sit there and say. Hmm, this company's coming to us like a tech deck wrote that. They want us to license out our logos and they'll put them on stickers so they can put them in every grocery store. Those guys would go like, yeah, but the mom and pop shop, he needs that dollar and that two dollars for the stickers to help the overhead to keep his store open mm -hmm. because when skateboarding peaks from mainstream back into a little bit underground because it goes through cycles, the mom and pops are the ones who keep us alive. So let's not kill them. You know, the skaters came over, they're like, fuck yeah, we can get a royalty, blah, 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 tech deck stickers, anything you want, put our name on, you know, it's like, put it in, put it in CVS, put it in Rite Aid, we don't care, like, you know, they literally didn't support the mom and pops, even though they pretended they did. Because they you had know? no vision? I think they had no vision, they had no real business understanding, they just thought, we're the skaters, we're the real chosen ones, we're the ones who deserve all the money because we really skate, but the funny thing is, none of them... I mean, Powell made skateboards. Yes. Santa Cruz kind of made skateboards because they owned part of the factory. They didn't make them on site, but they made them off. But they, they, they screen printed. They did manufacturing they didn't production. Press them there. Vi um, yeah, Vision. No, they didn't press them there. Yeah, back east. But Vision made skateboards. They screen printed so on and so forth. Okay. Of all those new companies coming up, um, actually, I was the only one who built a factory because I wanted to be like Powell and Santa Cruz next day, have production Do the capabilities thing. all that. Yeah. Birdhouse never made a skateboard. All. All farmed out. You know, Toy Machine eventually bought Watson Lamb, and it's 10 years down the road. But all these guys, Toy Machine, not Toy Machine, but like Todd Swanks, um, Tom Yetto mm -hmm. uh, Foundation, that whole group, they, they were marketing guys. World Industries never made a skateboard. They bought skateboards, put graphics on them, and they hyped the team thing to make us cool, we sell product. Mm -hmm. um, so they didn't do it at all like the last guys. The last guys actually manufactured stuff and brought it to market. And guys like Larry Balma had molds made and got foundries to produce it, brought it back to their factory, mm -hmm. grinded the trucks out, sanded them, put them together, you know, Fausto and the guys up there had their foundry. They made the stuff. They did the. They did all the finished work. These guys' idea was, no, no, no. You have someone else do it. You just bring it, arrive it to us in a box, and then we pretend we're manufacturers. You know what I mean? And we, it was basically, we, distribution. Uh, it's just distributors. Yeah. You know. And then so, therefore, that's also why it all eventually went to China because they just wanted more money. Right. They didn't want, like I was getting, you know, when my wood shop was struggling in the late 90s mm -hmm. um, because it was like, oh, well, your boards are oh, 10 times better than the Chinese, but but they're offering me a board for $8. So you, you want $14 for a board, so unless you can give me a board for, you know, mm -hmm. for $8, I'm going to China. And they're like, okay, because the thing is they didn't have a factory. Yeah. I personally, the bummer is, because I had some setbacks within my Acme thing where I became an OEM manufacturer, I'm bummed because I wasn't really able to kind of redo my brand, because I could make a board for 10 bucks. 
I'd rather make an American board for ten bucks than, than buy one for yeah. eight bucks. Sure. But you know, what I mean, and yeah. then be able to sell it for. But the thing is, I didn't have any marketing money. Didn't have team. I didn't have. You know, I kind of had plummeted and become an OEM manufacturer. I was mostly making boards for Alien Workshop and Birdhouse, mm -hmm. and they kept my doors open. It kept me going for more and years. They kept my found employees. Cheaper prices um, elsewhere. Eventually, yeah, yeah. Eventually, they all found cheaper prices and all. And, and then most of it ended up in Mexico. And the funny okay. thing is, now I've seen invoices lately mm -hmm. where the guys in Mexico are charging more than we used to here because wow. there's nobody left here. So they did what typically happens in a business. Okay. They crush they it here. Control. They crush it here, and then they raise the prices back to where they were, yeah. so they make a lot more profit. Yeah. So it's just greed. Greed seems to drive everything. So of course, um, of course. Amen. So I don't know where we got off that tangent, but yeah, that was. So there was a difference between the old school guys going into the new skater-owned thing. Skater-owned guys didn't really have a lot of business savvy. They learned it later, but what they had is they had the hype. They had the they had the ability to. Creep into the magazines and take over. Is that um, how marketing-wise so, it um, Well, I mean, say for instance, I were I sold all the ads for Transworld in the late '80s. Okay, if I even inferred that one of the advertisers hasn't gotten much coverage, or you should, you know, look at consider that, you know, whatever this guy's advertising clothes and none of his writers have ever been in the magazine, I would have been like thrown out of the building. Literally, get the fuck out of here. We cover skateboarding the way we want to. You know, okay. don't call us. We'll call you if we hear there's a session on. We'll show up. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it wasn't like marketed. Okay. Um, and then even for a time when I started acting, I was the back kind of the back cover of Transworld, the, mm -hmm. the contents page, letters column. I took all the premium ads and I helped them turn their magazine from black and white back to color. Because really? I told them, all these guys are a bunch of followers. The day they hear Jim Gray took the back cover mm -hmm. and took this color, but all your black, all your your foundation, Alien, all, the, all their black and white ads. Yeah, well, all the of them were. Everybody followed. It was like World Industries, Toy Machine. They followed each other. Birdhouse, mm -hmm. um, Alien Workshop. They were all... Good dudes, but they were all, I would call it the brass ring club. They're like, they only did what each other did. So okay. they were, a lot of them were doing black and white advertising where the magazines were looking weak and, and then so one, very imitative. One, yeah, and then when Vision fell off the back cover and then I think Vans maybe took it for an issue and Birdhouse took it for an issue, nobody would commit. I stepped in transfer and go, I'll take your back cover, I'll take the contents page, I'll take the letters column, I want to do my ads like this, I'll give you this much, a little cheaper than the going rate was, and I guarantee you in six months, you'll have a color magazine again, because there's no way in hell those guys are going to let me run color back cover ads, color contents page ads, and have them all be black and white, because the magazines used to be everything. Yes. So I literally was the Pied Piper that brought Transworld back to a color magazine, know you know, and it took about four or five months. There was just no way those guys, New Deal was not going to run a black and white ad mm. if Jim Gray was running a color ad, and I knew <laughs> that, and it was, it was borderline comical. That's interesting. You know. Um, because, they're, yeah. because they're imitative, so they... Well, I did the same thing with Action, Action Sports Retailer would put out like a show guide, and those ads were ridiculous. They were like $3,000 for a color ad, and they're like, well, nobody cares, but then there was like three or four tab pages that stuck out, and those are the premium ones, and I'd go, okay, here's Here's the deal. Your rate's four grand. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a grand for it, you know. And then I'm going to give you a name of list of ten people that you call. Mm -hmm. Tell them Jim Gray took the tab page. Mm -hmm. You're going to sell them all an ad, because they're going to follow. They're never going to lead. They're never going to step in and take the chance themselves, you know. And, and it was very true in skateboarding. I mean, even in, in board manufacturing, Paul Schmidt made my boards before I made my own my own boards. Okay, okay. so from like '91 through about presses, yeah. through about '95. Yeah. yeah, is when I started making. And I remember once they came out with this vertical laminate board, and it was rad. I'm going, how cool. We want to make them. And they're like, you know, I you know, it's like, why aren't you guys making them? Well, our team guys haven't decided if they're cool enough yet. Okay, okay, we don't care. So I sold thousands of them. And then after I sold thousands of them were out there, then they introduced them in their own brands. You know what I mean? It's like, Great. Why did they not awesome. take a Sublimated wood. You know, I, mean, I yeah. made the first sublimated wood boards they were making. Like, dude, on it. Here's the graphic. Make it happen. Yeah. Um, well, because they're, everyone was afraid to lead because it was, it's such a follower market. Like, uh, like the whole street is the only thing you can skate thing. 
we obviously know the street's not the only thing you can skate. The street's mm-hmm. just something that you skate when there's nothing else to skate. You go find what's out there. Yep. But street was promoted as the only thing cool to skate because those guys wanted to take the business away from Powell and Santa Cruz and Vision and the historical group of people no, that were all based on vert and bulls and so on and so forth. Mm. So you got kids mm-hmm. and you, that were willing to do gnarly stuff. Started with H Street. They were like dangling $50 bills. Where does the gnarliest trick down this rail? 50 bucks, you know, like, so the, and they, they, they built to where we stopped going on like how good somebody really is like their their competition, you know, mm-hmm. let's prove how good they are mm-hmm. side by side with everybody else. No, it's what we edit into a finished look. That's the perception we're putting out to people. We're the new breed. So it went from the beginning there to where it became like, dude, just edge like, dude, man, bowls? Who rides that stuff? That's lame. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, guys, there's old magazines where guys are like, no one wants a bowl in a skate park. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. People want rails and ledges and stairs. And I'm like, no, and I would, I would always laugh and go, I would bet you every single possession I own, if you went out into the middle of freaking Africa somewhere, somewhere where no one's ever seen a skateboard, and you built a most basic of area with some little rolling bumps and a snaky run kind of thing, or whatever, a little, a little reservoir like that, and then you built a street plaza, and you, you took the best street skater ever known to mankind and put him on the street plaza, and you took Joe Blow off the street and had him roll around the, the, the flow well, area, yeah. and you said, okay, what do you guys want to ride? You know, they're going to be all these excited little kids. Yeah. I mean, a couple might walk over the street course and kind of like bash their head against something and not understand what they're supposed to do. And everybody else would get on their butts and start rolling down the reservoir yeah. and they'd be having fun. And like, so to take it and try to market it like, no, this is, what, this is what's natural on a skateboard. This is what everyone wants to do. Street skating is what it's all about. You know, it's like, that always irritated me. I got nothing against street skating. Some no. of the guys are street skaters are so rad. They're so amazing, amazing now. Control, you know, yeah. um, they do now. Yeah. But, but when it was all sold as yeah. what everyone wanted, the only thing they wanted, whatever that, they didn't. I've went to contests where I've watched a hundred guys in a row try a trick over like a little <laughs> bank corner and miss, and stood while people stood next to me. Is that the way and it was? This is the professional skateboarding league here at Venice Skate Park, and I hear ladies walk up and they go, "These guys are professionals." You know what I mean? Like after literally, I've counted. I went to one of those contests at the Paramount Studios they did every year. The um, they, t- they made all these obstacles, and I think once I watched some dumb little ledge drop thing like that, oh, I and I watched that, yeah. like 75 guys in a row try something and bail. I'm like, this is really lame. That's not even cool. When guys make rad stuff, see, now you watch like the Damn Am. I watched the Damn Am yeah. not long ago. Dude, the technical shit the kids were making, the consistency is so incredible. Right. But it's also there's some flow involved because they're, they're riding... I mean, they're riding a whole course, and they're, and they're yeah. going trick to trick to trick, and you can see the talent. Then you have, like, Street League, with a, where they're basically saying the best skater is the guy who does one trick. I'm like, mm. are you kidding me? Right. Like, you know, I mean, and I always make the, the joke to others, to whether you call it sports, whatever like that, like gymnastics. Let's look at gymnastics. What, what's the most exciting, what, what do you think the two or three most exciting things are in gymnastics? Gymnastics. Uh, well, let's see. I, I guess maybe the, maybe the parallel bars? Okay. What is it? The, the uneven bars were there. Yeah, uneven bars, around. floor exercises, Floor's like crazy. Popular, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. So now, now, what's probably the mo- still exciting but the most boring one? I'd say vault. Yeah. They just run and do one. Okay. Yeah. So that's what street league is. It's, like it's a hit. vault. Hit, hit it and we just sit and watch guys do one trick down one thing over and over again. Do you think anybody would tune in and watch the Olympics or even think that was exciting to watch or not? Like turn the channel if all we got to watch was three hours of vault. No, you know, no. well, that's how they formatted that. I don't even get it. Like, that's are you kidding me? You have like, there's like seven or something like six or seven s- things that add up to your score. One of them is your like overall course run. Mm-hmm. The other six are single tricks or two trick lines. It's like, 
That's not skateboarding. That's right. not how we learn skateboarding. We didn't start riding in a ditch and go down the reservoir and go, dude, bro, it's the first wall, the gnarliest, you win. It's like, no, guy who rides the whole thing and shows us his the overall longer, skills. Longer. Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah. so to think that's who the best skateboarder is isn't is ludicrous. It's embarrassing. It's they're, they're, that's what the format they've they've proposed for the Olympics. 97% of the world mm -hmm. does street contests with like a 45 second or a minute long run mm -hmm. of cons consistently fluid because then you really do see the best skateboarder. Okay. But they're proposing for the Olympics the format to be street league, which is single trick, one, one two trick. You know, it's like, it's, mm -hmm. it's so illogical. You're not finding the best skateboarder. Mm -hmm. And also you're telling everyone around the world who does it the other way, you have to convert to the way we do it. Right. One thing, just because we're political and influential and we're able to muscle our way and take this over. What do you think, so, what do you suppose they... Don't, they, want, they don't want to see a guy do a line in a, in a, in a street sense. They want to see him just one hit. Well, what, because the guys, the, the guys who started it, yeah. and like Rob Dyrdek's been a very successful guy. I, re I respect a lot of what he's done and so on and so forth. But the reality is they, were, they built their careers as video pro skateboarders. You know, a video pro hits one trick at a time primarily, mm -hmm. does it a hundred times till he gets that one really killer one, mm -hmm. and goes to the next spot, mm -hmm. does the next big gnarly thing, and you know, I mean, and in the end, you get a, a video edited with a guy riding ten different gnarly spots, doing you know that's one or maybe two really big gnarly tricks. So they think that's what skateboarding is, mm. because they were the generation that was spoon-fed the streets the coolest thing now, mm. you know. So and they, that's all they know. So they continue to do it. Mm. Guys like me, they were around. I watched freestyle street yeah. parks, banks, bowls, pools. You know, like yeah. I, I kind of get the realities of each of them. Yeah. What's good and bad. There's boring parts of vert ramps. There's boring, you know. Yeah. There, there's you know, there, there's more exciting parts of pool skating and not, and you know, um, yeah, right. but I'm not, like I would never build a skate park that had only bowls just because I like riding bowls. That right. would be, that would be uncool. That would be lame. Right. You know what I mean? Doesn't but there's sense. a lot of street guys that want to just build a plaza because yeah. they say bowls are lame. Well, that's dumb. Right. You know what I mean? Like why would you ever, I get bummed if I go to a skate park and I want to ride it because I'll go to any skate park and try it out. And there's one where you can't even do a lap around it because everything runs into a wall, drops off something like that. Like, man. That's not even the foundation of what skateboarding is. Skateboarding is about rolling on a skateboard. Right. It's about movement and motion. Right. Tricks are like an add-on to that. You know what I mean? I'm right. so good at rolling in motion, right. now I'm going to do some tricks. Yes. We try to tell people, no, no, no. Who cares what rolling, how good well, your rolling is, just do a trick. Yeah. Sit around, people will, see, people will get, it'll, like they're playing hippity hop. They just yeah. sit there and just flip their board all day long. And that's okay, but to be honest, I've watched a whole lot of kids spend a whole day skateboarding, and I've seen that they didn't have any fun. Because yeah. their whole focus was on me and my buddies got to hit this ledge a hundred times till we pull that one trick. And I'm going, dude, and the first time I drop in that bowl and do a big stand-up frontside grind, I already started out happy. Like, yeah. how, could you, how yeah. could you want to skate something that, even if you land it, is like only like an okay feeling at best. It's, it's just the reward that your buddies say you're cool now. When you said, too, that they've seen that. As their video well, it's been spoon-fed yeah. to them. I didn't finish that thing with the magazines, okay? So the magazines were, like, I couldn't tell them as an employee of the magazine. They, they'd tell me, how dare you tell me what to cover in the magazine? Right. And then come mid to late 90s, yeah. they ran 20-page articles that said, the Zero Tour Across America. They put their logo on every page. So if Jamie Thomas called up and said, I'm taking the team on tour, they'd send a photographer. They'd, you know, mm -hmm. And if you went into the actual offices, you, you would literally go... And like it's just a Wednesday, and there would be team manager for zero, team guy for vans, whatever like that. They're all lunching with everybody. I mean, it turned into the bros took over. Now, those guys basically told them what they were going to cover. 
So magazines converted from editorial to advertorial. It was all based on I like that. yeah. It's actually a term that they you know they they call it. it's very it's very common other in the auto industry whatever like that. Mm -hmm. They just get advertorial. I mean they just freaking Ford says I'm running ads in your magazine. I expect an interview at a well skateboarding was a lot more pure mm -hmm. until the 90s. Mm -hmm. Skateboarding was pretty much the guys were like no no we cover rad skateboarding. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You you follow what we cover. You don't like it? Fuck off. Right. You know what I mean? But then right. it became like. Now the skaters took over, and the skaters go, we don't want pure anymore. We want controlled, illicit, fucking backdoor, backhanded, you know, keep people out, you know. I mean, literally, they told guys, if you put longboards in the magazine, we'll pull our ads out. If you do, you know. People um, said that. Oh, absolutely. I believe, you know? I believe it. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, and it was like, wow, you know. I mean, one of the funniest things I've ever heard in skateboarding was I, I went to, uh, in skateboarding, in the skateboard industry, in the culture, I went to one of those I Ask Summits. And they had a thing about new media, and there's a bunch. There was a bunch of guys. Term, new media. Yeah, new media. Yeah, there was, which is but, which is digital. Let's face yeah. it. So new media is yeah. now, you know, a new world. They were up there. I think Steve Barra from the Barracks was there, and uh, some guy from Etnies, and, and there's a whole panel. You know, 100 people from the industry, maybe more. Um, and someone asked. Uh, I think they asked Steve Barra. They said, you know, what. Uh, you know, with, with longboarding's popularity, I mean, some could say it's as much as 50% of the market right now. Um, would you ever see, you know, covering longboarding in, in, you know, on your website or whatever? Okay. And, and the barracks is pure street, and I get that. Yep. But if you're, I don't know, if you're logical and you really, you know, you, you really kind of get the world around you, you'd say, well, we're really, we're really kind of, we're street dudes, we're into street skating, even though Steve Barra started as a vert guy, irony there. Um, yeah, um, you know, we're, we're street dudes, we're into street skating. Um, that's not, doesn't really interest us, you know? Um, and that, that, that's valid, right? We, that's, we choose not to do that. No one, no yeah, one, the, no one makes a company sell what they no. want to or promote what they want to or like that, you know? It's like, so, but the answer was like, well, I don't know. Have you seen some of those videos? Which was really funny. Like, why would you go to videos? What does that have to do with skateboarding? So those, some of those dudes, it's almost as bad as rollerblading. You know, I'm like, okay, so you think the, the whole activity is based on a video you saw. That's just crazy. But then again, that's all they do is promote videos. I mean, right. that's their, the whole thing, that's the whole really video crazy. culture. But even worse than that, and he goes, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I suppose one day, I mean, maybe someday some of those guys will become skateboarders. Oh. And I was like, I turned around, I remember looking at EG, who worked at Sector 9, who was at the time the biggest company in skateboarding. And he just freaking shook his head and rolled his eyes like, you dumb, dumb, dumb motherfuckers. Here we're selling like 100,000 boards a month while the rest of you struggle to sell a couple thousand because you're so cool and blah, blah, blah. And just like, and he's literally up there with a straight face saying, maybe someday they could become skateboarders. Like, Jesus, really? Like, I'm sorry. Freestylers are skateboarders, and ditch skaters are skateboarders, yeah. and street guys are skateboarders. I mean, a skateboarder is someone who rides a skateboard, like, yeah. you know. Got four um, wheels and a piece of wood. Yeah, and what's, what's interesting, I've found through the years of being around the skateboard industry, if you're in a group of industry dudes and you, talk, you say the word skateboarding, they don't think of riding a skateboard. The word skateboarding means the video that just came out, the magazine ad, which guy are you promoting, how are you, like, they, they think of the business, the, the manipulation of it, the chess, the chess game of turning our guys into money, and like, you know, um, and when they talk, to, I've rarely heard the word skateboarding where guys in the industry are talking about going to ride their skateboards. Right. They're talking about skateboarding and how does this industry, how is this business that we can manipulate right. and play chess and crush other people, you know, step on dude's head because there's a penny on the other side, you know, like that's just, you know, <laughs> that's how pathetic it's gotten. And then the funny thing is, of this generation, that whole 
new generation, then they all start started selling their companies. Oh, you're yeah. so pure, you're so love skateboarding so much, you just like, you'd never give it up, you're so proud you made it. World industry is sold off, you know, this company sold off, girl, big investor taking in, all these guys is like, you know, um, trying to cash in. That's a bet, you know. Do they try to stay involved in it, or do they literally get bought out? What happens is they get bought out, they try to keep them involved, and then pretty much almost every they company you've watched fail. spirals. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. you can't, um, you, you, you can't, you can't take what built the culture out of it, and to you, you can't make the skateboard, skateboarding a different business than it really is. No. You know? And the people and, that own it then aren't necessarily skateboarders. Yeah. And the people who, who, who owned and ran them, they were skateboarders. Yeah. Some of them were the, the, original, best, the yeah. best manipulators there were. They're the guys that talked about skateboarding, and it was about my video, my team, who's going to ride first, bro? You know, they, and they knew how to like, build the brand off that, and their brand had this huge demand because that hype. But once you give those guys millions of dollars and just put them at a desk to kind of like, they just start losing interest as they invest in their breweries and whatever else they, they do. And, uh, um, and the company just starts floundering because another generation is coming and they're not, they're not reaching those kids.